With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, happy Wake Forest week, everyone. Happy Wake Forest week, indeed. I know uh, Dan and I are using a new format now. Hopefully, the uh, those who hated the audio quality on the old shows will be much, much happier with this format. Um, we're using an actual microphone. We're using Skype. We even have production meetings now. And by production meetings, we mean we meet for 60 seconds to make sure the mic works. But yeah, just we're, we're taking you behind the curtain a little bit, just uh, just for the hell of it. I think the early reviews have been pretty good, so uh, hopefully it's better for everyone. I think it, it's working out fine for us, too. So Excellent. It's been All a couple right. years, so I <laughs> figure we could step our damn up a bit. Yeah, seriously. We've been doing this for, what, three years now? This is the third year we've been doing this. Jeez. <laughs> Which, time flies on the internet, people. Yeah, um... So first, we're going to talk about a little bit of last week, um, starting with, unfortunately, um, the Eric Phillips injury. And I know that came over late today, uh, for those listening yesterday. Um, just an absolute bummer. Obviously, we don't know the extent of the injury. Um, it's a dreaded lower body injury, so that could be any number of things. Um, it's just not great uh, to lose a guy like Eric Phillips. Obviously, he seemed like he really hit his stride and was really starting to define early on in the um, Rhode Island game, you know, what exactly that hybrid position um, entailed. And now to have him go out this early, uh, we'll see how long, uh, just kind of sucks. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird, too, because of how things seemed to go down last Friday, where I, I don't remember seeing it, but everyone that was at the game said he was limping off the field after the first touchdown. And then obviously he played out the rest of the half and scored another touchdown and looked pretty good. Obviously only had two touches, so it wasn't like he was, you know, carrying the ball all over the place. But um, a bit strange that after that happened and after Schaefer kind of reassured everyone that he'd be fine, that we're now here and and he was seen with crutches today, which should be precautionary, but could not be precautionary as well. 
Um, so hopefully, hopefully it's just them taking uh, just a little extra effort to make sure he's okay and, and assuming that the stable of running bats and H-bats we have can take care of business in its wake. But it's definitely not what you want to hear heading into a game that while we're all pretty confident about, Wake's also confident about it, and it's a game we absolutely need to win. So uh, we'd definitely like to have all hands on deck if possible, but unfortunately that's not going to be the case this weekend. Yeah, I mean, that goes without saying. Um, the first three games were highlighted by everybody as games that we would win, should win, and, and needed to win, um, even in our worst-case preview um, where, you know, how the Orange go 3-9 and nine in the preseason – we uh, we identified these three games as kind of the uh, the ones that needed to happen and would happen. Obviously, that was before the Terrell Hunt injury, um, before just general disarray seemed to seemed to befall us um, very early uh, this off season and then you know regular season. But we're in a position now where. Uh, Games like this, and again, we don't know what Dungey's going to bring to the table against an FBS team. Um, games like this need to be won, um, and it doesn't, they don't have to be handily, they don't have to be pretty, they just need to be won because honestly, uh, all bets are off on what to expect with, you know, with a healthy and effective Dungey, with a healthy and effective Eric Phillips. I mean, I'm hopeful, but, you know, for right now, let's. Just win the games and let's let's try to figure out you know as we're going what exactly we're uh, we're going to get out of this season. Yeah, I mean we've talked about it before. Syracuse is not in a position where we can kind of scoff at wins, even if they're ugly or against teams that we feel like we should beat. So, I mean, I still think Syracuse should be able to handle Wake, especially at home. But as long as they pick up the W, I think we're all going to be okay at the end of the day. We'll have our complaints and our concerns as we do every game, but. Just get the win. Very much agreed. Um, so, Dan, looking at, you know, kind of Syracuse's typical next man up mentality, um, who do you think um, is the guy that kind of steps up in uh, in Earth Phillips' place, um, both as a hybrid um, in this game and then overall um, in the offense? I know when I was talking to Blogger So Dear, uh, SB Nation's Wake Forest blog, kind of identified her Phillips as the guy to watch. Um, and obviously that's not going to be the case anymore. So who is going to be the guy within this offense that we're talking about win or lose um, after the game on Saturday as, uh, as you know, the playmaker um, who made a difference for better or for worse? Uh, well, specifically pertaining to the Irv injury, I think we're going to probably see more Dante Strickland, who, like Irv, got limited touches but impressed in them. Um, he's obviously a guy who missed some of uh, the summer camp but so hopefully he's just kind of easing his way back in, but he looked super explosive, especially on that last touchdown uh, against Rhode Island. So I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. Um, and then obviously Jordan Frederick's had an incredible game, incredible debut. Um, you know, say what you want about, about the opponent, but uh, we saw George Morris run and he's a, you know, has two years or three years on Frederick's in the system and didn't look, he looked fine. He was put up in numbers, but he didn't look, nearly like the runner that Fredericks was, and he was playing the same opponent. So uh, I'm really excited about Fredericks. Um, one of those guys where we didn't quite know what we were getting. Obviously, he put up huge numbers, but Long Island football is not exactly Georgia or Florida football. Um, hey. <laughs> hey, I mean, my, my dad's a Lawrence guy, so he was looking over my shoulder watching the game on a cell phone like every time 
Frederick touched the ball, so he was excited. But, um, you know, not every league will allow a running back to put up, like, 11 yards of carry or whatever Fredericks did. But, uh, he's he, you know, he was right behind it in Rhode Island. He averaged 7.4. So, um, I'm excited to see what he does. It's a, a pretty decent Wake Forest front. Uh, they lost a lot from the secondary, but their front seven, which I know we wrote about today, is pretty solid. Not great. Like, they're not, they're not de- uh, going to break the game open, but... It's a good unit, a good test. Um, so those are the two guys, the two freshmen I'm most looking forward to, to seeing. And, and hopefully Devontae McFarland can get out there as well. Agreed. Uh, I guess for me, I mean, like you know, we said right off the bat, uh, Brizzly Esteem, kind of the, the easy plug-in um, in terms of the hybrid position. Um, and obviously the uh, least, no, oh, the, the less Ben Lewis uh, jet sweeps I see, the better. Um but that said, you know, Tyrone Perkins is a guy who's definitely, he was only minimally used um, against Rhode Island. I think he's going to get some more reps this weekend, especially now that Irv Phillips is out. Um, the run game is definitely going to uh, take center stage. Um, it was going to anyway, but um, I, I think we're going to be talking about one of the running backs. I'm not sure which. Um, I know some people were really hard on George Morris um, during the game last week, but he honestly put in a pretty decent effort. I mean, he had a couple times where he was, you know, kind of stuffed um and I, I think it was just fans being a little spoiled um compared to the, the the long long runs that it seemed that everybody from Fredericks to Hill um and Strickland were uh were reeling off so I, I think with probably four backs who are going to get them at least five carries a piece um we should see the running game kind of star first and foremost but um Backtracking a little bit to the Rhode Island game, I know we'll jump back into Wake Forest too. Um, Dan, who was who somebody that really, really surprised you above all others? Um, I know there were a lot of surprises. There were a lot of unexpected um, turns of events um, against the Rams, but who was the one kind of biggest surprise for you and the one that you really see as a, as a harbinger of even better things to come? Um. I certainly didn't expect to see Eric Dungy <laughs> that early in the game. Um, I don't know if that's a fair answer. Uh, overall, I, I think um, I was really impressed. And I, I'm going to stop saying, you know, Rhode Island, because we all know where they played Rhode Island. It's fine. Um, the the freshman defensive tackles, I thought, both played really well. Uh, Anthony Giadai said probably one of the best plays of the game where he set up the safety by just – manhandling the uh, the center and guard and blowing up the, a, a run, I think, um, right before the, the doofy safety that we uh, forced. So those guys, I mean, we're going to need a lot out of them, and I think most people were um, more focused on Stephen Clark, and obviously Clark had a good game as well, and he'll, he'll, he's all the potential in the world. But it was nice to see multiple young defensive tackles uh, really play well in their first, their first uh, college action. Agreed. I mean, Dungy's obviously the the most unexpected, um, but in general, um, I, I think the the most surprising and harbinger for things to come, um, both you know this week, this season, um, and even going for, uh, further, uh, is probably Fredericks. Um, I know Fredericks got a little lost in the shuffle, um, had some injury issues at the end of high school. Um, and some people just didn't really seem to latch on to him the same way they did with Strickland. Um, and, and so I think between him and Perkins, I mean, Perkins didn't really show us a ton on Saturday, but he didn't really get a lot of opportunities. Um, between the two of them, 
um, I, I think that that was the most pleasant surprise and the type of thing that is only going to lead to better, um, better things in the future. Yeah, just having all those different kinds of uh, those running backs, including McFarlane, who we're yet to see this year, but we know um, can break a game with big runs, which he's done the last two seasons, uh, and George Morris, who I think we've all spent a little more out of, but uh, I don't think anyone's ready to give up on him yet. Um, it's exciting to have a stable like that because we've seen what's happened in years past, and we've had guys, combinations like Jerome Smith and Prince Tyson Gully or, or uh, Antoine Bailey and DeLon Carter. It's always nice to have an array of weapons to throw at a defense and give different looks. Um, and I wasn't quite sure that we had those differing types of runners, but Fredericks is definitely not the same runner that McFarlane or Morris is. Um, and I think having those different looks is always going to help because defenses play differently and, and have different strengths. Um, but having a guy who can really batter a defense like Fredericks and also uh, guys like uh, McFarlane and, uh, I mean, I'm not going to throw Jordan Hill in there yet because he's a walk-on and I want to see him play against, you know, or Jacob Hill, rather, not Jordan. Jordan's a, a Laker, last I checked. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I'm not going to throw him in there yet, but I, I could see a, a future where the, the team finds a way to include him on some screen passes, dead him in open field. So it's definitely an interesting group at the running back position. I know we were a little worried about it without uh, some veterans back there, but it's definitely it's an exciting array of talent. I would agree, yeah. I think the one thing... Uh you and I talked about throughout the summer was there's a lot of young players, there's a lot of talented players that just don't know how talented and if the youth is going to override that talent. Um, through one game, and again, against Rhode Island, it didn't seem that way. Um, but now this weekend, uh, Rhode Island, obvi- I mean, sorry, Wake Forest um, obviously has a strong front seven. Um, not the strongest front seven uh, we'll see necessarily or the best team we'll see necessarily on the schedule. But uh, this is a great uh, way for them to jump in really early and a great way for us to get an early gauge on, um, you know, just how well-adjusted these kids are. If they manage to – I mean, they don't, have to, they don't have to torch Wake Forest. I don't think our offense has done that um, in, in the team's two meetings uh, since we joined the ACC. But if, if we see uh, a competent play, smart play, heads-up play like we saw in Game 1 um, across the board, I, I think it's a great harbinger of, uh, of things to come. Uh, for a lot of these uh, these really young, you know, offensive contributors. Yeah, and a lot of that's going to have to do with the offensive line as well, which I've seen maybe the most mixed reaction to based on the first game. Um, I know some people some people thought the line did really well. Some thought that they struggled considering the opponent. Um, I don't know. I thought they were fine. I didn't get a chance to really watch closely. I was... Uh, at a family event watching on a cell phone, which isn't the best way to break down offensive line play. Um, but, I mean, we took very... I don't know if we were sacked more than once. I think there was a little bit of Dungy taking off a little early, uh, whereas a more veteran quarterback might stick in the pocket for an extra second and let routes develop. But he didn't really do the thing where he was jumping around in the pocket and had, like, the super happy feet um, compared to some other freshman quarterbacks. So... I'm not, you know, I guess I'd rather him take off and, and gain like four or five yards, which he seemed to do pretty comfortably, than, uh, than to sit back there and, and jump around and not be able to deliver a strike. So um, I think the offensive line will really find out a lot about this weekend because URI is not the best. For all the, you know, all the excuses of 
you know, we blew out URI. What else are we supposed to do? It's definitely not the best opponent to really gauge what offensive line play, um, how effective it was. Agreed. I guess, yeah, talking a little more about the offensive line, um, you know, Dan, I know you said for the most part you were pretty positive on it, but a lot of the things I was seeing about it said, you know, Dungey did seem like he got a little more pressure than um, than one would, would normally see in a game like that. Um, from my play call breakdown, it did seem like the team was, uh, was purposefully, in the first half anyway, um, going after and running more plays to the right side. Um, I don't know if it has a way to test Seamus in particular, um, but I'd say that the right side is definitely the weaker of the two sides um, for Syracuse, and it wouldn't be the worst idea against a, a very manageable and beatable opponent um, to go after it and just kind of see what your guys can do. Um, but do you think that, that it was mostly a product of just a blowout, the fact that you know Rhode Island could send four probably on most plays after the first 20 minutes just because they knew it was go- they knew it was probably going to be a run you can run blitz um, obviously they, they needed to to find ways uh, to get back in a game and that causes you know team to take risks team to try to cause more havoc than normal um, and in general just guys to face more pressure than maybe they normally would um, in the first and second quarters of, of, of a game. So I, I think would you probably chalk it up mostly to that? I mean, obviously, this weekend giving us a much bigger um, and more relevant uh, sample size to go off of. Yeah, those are all, those are all I think, important factors. Um, once, I mean, we knew the game was pretty well in hand early, and Rhode Island probably knew the same. So like you said, they could commit more to the run. Um and, and not having uh, a senior quarterback in there and replacing with a freshman, obviously, impacts that as well. Uh, Dungey threw 17 times, but I don't know. Do you know how many plays we ran offhand? Uh, I have it up. I want to say 68, but let me check that number. I mean, if, that, if, if it's around that, I mean, it was a, very, it was a pretty low percentage of our total. No, we ran, well, we ran 76 plays. 26 were called passes, but that also includes... The uh, the pocket breakdowns that turned into runs. Yeah, so tw- twenty six called passes out of seventy six plays. It's under thirty five percent. So uh, that's I mean any team, even if they're getting blown out or you're under, you know, you have significantly less talent than the team you're playing. You're gonna still try to force the team to uh, slow the team's run game when it's obvious they're gonna run pretty much any chance they get. Um, so, and, and the offensive line, I mean, if, any, if they did anything, it was they opened up running holes. So, uh, I'm not terribly worried. Um, yeah, based on this performance, I just think it's hard to gauge based on it being kind of a different game than what we'll probably see going down the road because I don't expect too many blowouts in the second quarter uh, either way for Syracuse. So, um, I think this weekend we'll, we'll definitely have a better sense of what this offensive line is. Right, and let's keep in mind, last year, I mean... I don't have the numbers in front of me, but SU ran the ball dreadfully against uh, Villanova um, and really, really got pushed around in the trenches. I didn't feel that way at all this time. I, I think it was just, you know, either time in the pocket or Dungey taking off too fast. Um, in general, I, I did feel like it, it was a vast improvement. Um, and yeah, anyone over dissecting the time 
that Dungey may or may not have to throw, um, etc., does forget the running element of it. I mean, we're talking, you know, second and third, um, you know, guy down the depth chart later on in the game, still opening up some pretty solid holes. Um, and that's how, I, I said in the post, 21 of the last 22 plays were runs, um, and we still managed 121 yards and a touchdown out of that while just trying to kill off clock. Um, so this was an offensive line that very much did its job, at least in terms of the run. The pass, I think, is TBD. But again, not a bad thing at all. Um, I, I think that, that that's what these early games are for. They're, they're you know, allowing everyone to kind of grow, get in rhythm, especially a guy like Seamus who hasn't really taken a lot of first-team reps um, overall. I think it's just good for everyone to, to use the first game to, to work out some kinks. And, and now, we, now we head to the real season um, much more prepared and and, and that's when I think fans should really start diving into, um, you know, these these evaluations, both critical and, and overly positive. Yeah, and we had guys out there, especially on the second string, guys like uh, Cody Conway, who were seeing their first action as well, some freshmen, some redshirt freshmen. So not a ton of experience out there, and still, I think, most for the most part, twitted themselves pretty well. So um, obviously we've talked about redshirts a lot on the site, uh, I think at this point, it just, unless we're going to burn Shai Cullen in game six, like something stupid like that, um, the guys who have played are going to play, and we have to hope that they get as much time as they can at this point because there's no putting the cork back in the uh, in the bottle unless someone gets hurt. So um, it's nice to be able to get guys like that some experience now that we've decided they're going to be parts of the team this year. No, very much agreed. Um, I think... Yeah, like, and I said this in the post, and you and I have talked about it a bunch. Um, the big issue here um, was just the guys that saw the fields, I'm not really sure how much they're going to see the field for the rest of the season. Obviously, guys on the D-line were going to see the field either way. Um, you know, some of the offensive linemen were going to see the field either way. But um, you, know, you and I both harped on this one. Kentarius Womack, you know, the quarterback turned wide receiver already. Um, for him to see, uh, you know, very limited time, mostly like in, in some garbage time, some of the other players that saw garbage time, uh, that one was a little bit more confusing, if only because I would much rather have seen a lot of these younger guys. Um, you know, yes, it can be an injury risk, but I'd much rather see some of these younger guys jumping in um, and getting some extended snaps at the college level, um, including the ones who didn't start, most importantly. Um, you know, I'd rather see on both ends, you know, guys get 20 to 30, um, just, just real time snaps, even if it's against Rhode Island, just to, to get more acclimated. Yeah. And I'm always, a, I'm a proponent of the red shirt in general. I think I'd rather, I almost across the board, uh, unless someone's just ready to help you out a big way right away, um, get that fifth year for someone. Now, obviously with Dungy, I mean, if you, if they're going to Dungey now, it means they think they're punting the year with, with Lond or with Wilson. So I'm fine with that. He's going to play the whole season. Uh, God willing, he doesn't get hurt. But um, overall, I agree. Like, an hour like Womack, who I think they're not totally uh, – I mean, they might they might just be done with the idea of him at quarterback totally, but they're not saying that publicly. Like, you'd think that'd be a guy that'd be a good redshirt candidate and have him, especially if he's in a – to dual learn positions or, uh, or even make a full position change. Um, so if he's not getting real reps this year, I don't quite get it, but, 
Um, I think these coaches are probably coaching for their jobs a little more than they'll ever admit. Uh, so they're kind of, they're going to use the dies they're going to use. Hopefully that doesn't end up being like a, an Antoine Bailey situation. I mean, he ended up having some big impact on games, but as much fun as we had winning that Notre Dame game, would it have not been better to have him for a full season? Uh, what was the year after he graduated? Uh, 2013? Uh, or 2012? 2012. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, winning the Notre Dame game, winning the Louisville game that year were awesome, and he had a big role in both of those. But, I I mean, it didn't save G-Rob's job, thank God. Um, and, you know, I have the fond memories from those two games, but I have more fond memories of the 2012 season and what would have happened if we had Ant Bailey in there with PTG and Jerome Smith. I don't know if it would have won us an extra game, but who knows? It could have. So, um, overall, I like to have the extra year, unless unless someone's going to be a major part of the rotation. Um, but the coaches are going to do what they're going to do, and at this point, I mean, we can bitch about it, but it's, it is what it is. Like, they've made the decision. So, at least they've made the decisions in game one and not game five. Agreed. And, and you know, like, it, it, you could play this game all day of... Oh, well, I mean, especially in Bailey's case. Well, if Bailey gets the red shirt, then does that give another year? I mean, not to PTG, but did Rome? Rome had a year, didn't he? Yeah, Rome left early. I'm saying Rome left early. Rome maybe not, maybe wouldn't have left early. Uh, maybe, you know, we don't recruit Morris and McFarlane when we do. I mean, it, it's a it's a slippery slope there. That's true. And, and it's one that, you know, I mean, again, we could play all day, but... Um, yeah, I, I think at least if you're going to commit to it, commit to it in game one. But I am going to be watching pretty closely, um, you know, just how much uh, these kids play from here on out. Uh, the ones we know, I'm not going to uh, worry too much. But, yeah, if, if I don't do it, I'm sure somebody else will um, on the site. Just kind of a, <laughs> a burning red shirt watch to see uh, just how much these kids play and if it was a wasted um, you know, bit of time on the field or not. And it's also a philosophical thing. I mean, we heard Lester basically say he doesn't want people getting their first uh, snaps be as a starter uh, after a year of redshirting. So, I mean, I don't know that I necessarily agree, but I'm also not a coach. Um, but, I mean, I, I think it's fair to have philosophical differences with those things um, rather than it being like a panic move. So hopefully it, that's just what it is and if that's just the way they feel and they say, hey, these kids might start next year, like a Cody Conway or obviously an Eric Dungy, um, before the trail hunt injury, he was apparently going to play anyway. Then, you know, if that's just the way they do things, we could disagree, but it it just might be their, their coaching philosophy overall. And it might not be a, hey, we need to win some football games and pull out all the stops and worry about 2019 later thing. Yep. No, I completely agree there. Um I guess with a little bit more time left before we get into the uh, halftime, as per usual, um, we can start with Wake Forest a little bit. What do we think is going to go down um, with John Wolford? I know uh, Wake seems pretty high on him. It looks like a lot of uh, looks like a lot of third parties are, are pretty high on him in terms of um, you know reading his progressions better. Overall, he just seems like he's he's improved again against an FCS team and practice squad, so pretty much everybody else. Um, and at the same time, a lot of SU fans are harping on the fact that, you know, 
last year he was knocked down a ton with a with a bad offensive line. This year, um, it's a younger offensive line. Um, there's really no guarantees that he's any more protected than he was last year. Um, Dan, what do you see from Wolford? Do you think that that banking on him to to be as under pressure as last year and to be, um, you know, as I guess not green last year, but just as tepid as he was last year, do you think that those are good things to bank on? Do you think that, that we're kind of fooling ourselves there? Uh, I wouldn't bank on it. I He definitely went through the fire last year. I mean, that offensive line was really bad. We saw it in the game where we knocked him out. Um, he just didn't have time to do anything. I, I He has a good arm um, from what I've seen when he's actually played opponents that don't uh, bum rush him. Um, obviously, against Elon, he put up some really, really nice numbers. Um, but... I, it's hard to tell. I mean, with Wake the last couple of years, they've either uh, beaten a team like Elon or they've just gotten runs, so, aside from, like, the 0-0 Virginia Tech uh, nonsense. But um, it's really hard to judge him because they haven't had just kind of a steady performance where you can just look, him go through his, look at him go through his progressions and make good reads and and deliver the ball against an opponent that's either not like way too good or way, uh, way too bad. So um, I think this is a big one for them too, for that reason, because last year Syracuse's defense was clearly too much for Wake Forest's offense, which is kind of hilarious to say, but it's definitely the truth. Um, I don't blame them for thinking that things should get a little better this year, although um, obviously their, their line is what as young or younger than it was last year somehow. So that doesn't always mean it'll be worse, but um, we saw Syracuse get some pretty decent pressure last week. I think we're, we're all pretty high on the linebackers and the defensive line, which is also very young. So we'll, uh, we'll see this weekend. I, if they can give Wolford protection, I would be a little worried because I do think he has talent, but um, I'll believe that'll happen when I see it. Right. I mean, let's not pretend that you know, Wake has a ton of all pros hanging out there, that they have a solid running game. And, you know, again, it's it's Rhode Island, and then this week is Wake Forest. But um, the linebackers are going to get pressure, and they've gotten pressure against everybody. Um, I don't think a single team we've faced in the Schaefer era has completely been able to, to stop them from getting back. They might be able to escape the blitz, but it doesn't mean that, that SU's not getting back there. Um and again, against a, a Wake Forest team that has a really younger um, offensive line, it just doesn't look good. Um, I know, talking to Wake Forest folks, looking at previews, everyone's seemingly glossing over uh, Syracuse's linebacker play. And, you know, this isn't to play the, like, no one respects us card, but it's more just to point out how weird it is um, that a, a position of strength for, you know, going on, you know, five seasons straight at the very least um, – is, is seemingly ignored the way it is when, again, we, the, this is our system. It doesn't matter when, as people, you know, point out defensive line issues. That's great, and I agree that they're problematic, and we've talked about those as well, but the linebackers are the key to that blitz scheme, and as long as they're healthy, as long as we have as deep of a group of them as we do, um, I'm not really overly worried about our ability to blitz. I can be worried about our ability to to, you know, get penetration from the front four and, and our ability to, um, you know, stop the run um, for a full season. But as far as getting, um, you know, into the backfield and, and rushing the passer, I'm not really worried about that at all. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it happens when 
you're a team like Syracuse that te- that national writers and opposing fans don't have real cause to do a deep dive into. Um, obviously, the linebackers have been very good for going on seven years now, and um, we, you know, some of our best uh, defensive players have come from that position. Um, but it's easy to look at like, oh, Cam Lynch, he was one of the good players on Syracuse last year, and he's gone. And these three guys have barely played. Franklin and Hodge. Hodge started last year. Franklin started a couple games, but it's not a ton of experience. But as Syracuse fans know, I mean, those are some of the best up-and-coming players on the team. Um, we obviously hear a lot more about the team, so we're more aware of it. But um, I kind of get where it would come from. But for those that, of us that do follow Syracuse and Syracuse recruiting, um, obviously we know that position's pretty well stacked where you have a kid, I mean, we mentioned Shai Cullen before, who might end up getting redshirted because he hasn't played yet. But, I mean, he's a guy that probably has the talent to uh, to play on the two deep this year if he, if we needed him to. And, and we just have a lot of guys at that position. The numbers are really strong. Um, and they're pretty talented and, and physically impressive across the board. We would have, like, uh, Jonathan Thomas, who's a third stringer, and he's a physical freak. So... Um, like you said, I'm not worried about it. I think this, uh, as long as the defensive front can can hold its uh, hold its own at least a little bit, I think this will be a really strong group. Um, and it could end up being a really big test for Wake because obviously they're off the lines young. So I expect uh, Bulla and Schaefer to really dial it up this week. I think we'll see about as aggressive as we as we've seen from them uh, over the last couple of years, which is exciting because I, I, as I said last last time we spoke, really love that brand of football. Agreed. I think it's going to be a blast to see us. I mean, obviously it's fun to see your team win in any way, shape, or form, um, whether that's against an FCS team or a top 10 team. It doesn't really matter. Um, but what's going to be fun is seeing us for the first time this season. Um, and really, when you look at how just like shitty everything was at the end of last year, too, almost we're looking at you know over a year here um, of waiting around, um, just seeing us be able to tee off on a team. And I would say, actually, tee off on the last team that we did that to, which was Wake Forest in 2014. Uh, you know, the defense really dominated that game. Defense scored 14 points, um, knocked Wolford out, became a very different game um, as a result of just a lot of defensive pressure. Um, so, yeah, I am very much looking forward to uh, seeing this defense once again, hopefully, uh, take over a game this time at the Dome. Um, but, yeah, it leads us to halftime. And as everyone knows around here, we uh, we talk about beer at halftime. So Dan, what have uh, what have you been drinking since uh, since we last spoke? Uh, a couple of different things, um, some new things actually, which is nice. Uh, went to a concert the other night that was sponsored by Shinerbach. Um, Shinerbach's fine, the regular beer, uh, not my favorite thing in the world, but it's it's solid, you know, pretty accessible beer that you can find everywhere. I, I had never had their Shiner Ruby Redbird, though, um, which doesn't... It sounds like a, kind of a, an iffy proposition. Um, it's a grapefruit-flavored uh, beer, but it's actually really nice, uh, super drinkable, definitely something you could session. Not overly sweet. It's actually almost in, like, the sour territory of a, of a nice, like, tartness where um, you're not going to, you know, get hunned over after drinking, like, a couple of them because it's, it's super sugary. Um, and it doesn't overdo the the grapefruit flavor, which was which was nice. It's it's a really solid uh, 
solid drink overall. I was I was happily surprised by that, um, and I had plenty of them, <laughs> so because uh, they were like four percent, so that was good. And then first pumpkin beer of the fall, which isn't really here yet, because <laughs> um, it's like ninety three degrees out. Uh, the pumpkin ale from Dogfish Head. Um, not my favorite pumpkin, but I uh, didn't want to pass it up when I saw it was uh, available when I went out to dinner with my parents the other night. Um, really good. Uh, sol- uh, not quite on the southern tier or the uh, a couple of, you know, the trying to think of the one that's from Maine that's really good. Shipyard. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, but really solid. You know, it's Dodge Shed, so they, they don't make too many things that aren't at least very drinkable. Um, so that was nice. I know I've seen some like goofy complaints over the last couple of weeks. It's not like, you know, it probably is too early for pumpkin beers and stuff, but I'm not going to complain. I like more options. So hopefully we'll get into some of the other ones as we go along and, and knowing the pumpkin beer market, we'll be drinking them until like February. Yeah. I mean, you'd have a field day, um, my total wine, because I walked in the other day and I was, uh, I mean, right now we're going through a pretty major heat wave here where it's like 94 degrees and. More humidity than normal. It's kind of gross. Uh, then I walk into Total Wine looking for something, you know, refreshing, and the entire like first rack of stuff is pretty much every pumpkin beer, um, save pumpkin, um, that you could possibly imagine. So, and there's more and more people coming out with pumpkin beers. I know, uh, what's it called? Uh, Ballast Point's coming out with one this year that they're bottling. Uh, it's Pumpkin Down. I think it's their uh, like pumpkin Scottish one. I saw. I'm not a fan of Traveler beer, but um, I know that they have like a pumpkin shandy that they they put out. There's just a lot of uh, a lot of new entries to the market. I think it's kind of flooded at this point, but um, is what it is. I probably won't be drinking it until uh, this heat dies down a little bit. Um, Dan, perhaps if uh, your baseball team and my old baseball team slash current baseball team and new baseball team slash whatever season ticket holder team. <laughs> face each other for all you know you'll be perusing my total line as well yeah i mean it could happen um i think if if assuming both baseball teams that are apparently going unmentioned for drinks purposes um make the playoffs i think that they will probably end up playing based on how things will shake out so um yeah and i do think like last year seems to be when we hit the critical mass of pumpkin beer so i'm not surprised that a lot of new uh, new breweries are trying it out. Although I will be interested to see what Ballast Point does. Um, I apparently the Ballast Point, and I'm sure you knew this, uh, has a habanero version of the Stolpen. Oh yeah, uh, it's uh, so- it's it's rough. I mean, it's Is good. It? Like, have if you're gonna get one, just get it on draft. It's exactly like the regular Stolpen, except at the end, there's just a really, really like powerful kick. I may have the chance to have that this weekend, so I, I will come back with my thoughts next week, hopefully, assuming that happens. Um, I'm interested. I'm, the pepper beer is like, I'm fine. I love I love hot, spicy things. Now, generally, that doesn't, like, beer isn't in that category of, like, what I'm interested in being spicy, but um, if done well, I can see it being really good, so I'm, I'm excited to try it. Yeah, I'm not a huge uh, spicy beer fan. There's only a couple of those that I'm, like even okay with there's just some are just hot for the sake of it um but yeah i i would say probably the best one out there is that uh that habanero sculpin uh 
you know, it's no grapefruit sculpins, no regular sculpin, but it just does a nice job of keeping the, the you know, primary character of that beer intact while, uh, while dashing in a little bit of pepper at the end. Um, much better option if you're going for spicy and ballast point than, uh, than ballast point's other spicy option. The, uh, Indra Canindra, their, uh, kind of curry spiced beer that is one of the most miserable things I've ever had to drink. Yeah, I've seen that and I just like, I couldn't put my head around it nope. as something I want to drink, so I'm glad I avoided that then. Nope. Just liquid Indian food. I'm alright without that. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 would, I would definitely avoid. Alright. Um, on my end, we, we drank a bunch. Um, my wife's out of town for a week and a half, so I've been sitting around watching college football and drinking. As one does. Um... Go Hilltoppers. Uh, yeah. That's right. Boycott the NFL. I will be watching college football all night because this is actually a compelling game. Uh, some of the things I've had, I wish I had gotten several bottles of this, actually. Um, the new Sour in the Rye from the brewery. Just great, great, great uh, sour beer. Um, sour in the Rye is always uh, very good, but this one was on the fresher end. A lot of people age sours. Um I'm not big on aging sours unless they're, you know, barrel-aged, but uh, this one very enjoyable. I've had it before in previous iterations, but again, this one's still really good. Um, had um, Society Brewings, The Bachelor, uh, just a really good um, kind of lighter IPA. I had Noble Aleworks Citrus Showers, um, which is... I've talked about this before. It's just an incredible beer. Just puts Citra uh, hops right on the forefront and uh, kills it with that. Uh, had scrolling through. Oh, had uh, Sourin from uh, the brewery and their uh, kind of sour offshoot uh, Tarot. Um, it was a co- uh, collaboration with Eight Wired, which is out here in California. Uh, it was aged in uh, wine barrels. Pretty nice, kind of like. I wouldn't say white wine necessarily feel, but it definitely had a lot of, uh, you know, white wine tones. And also had Beechwood, had bottles of Amalgamator hanging around. So went ahead and grabbed one of those fresh yesterday, only two days old, and it was absolutely delicious. Um, Highly recommended for those who can uh, get themselves uh, bottles of Beechwood or Beechwood on draft. And yeah, that's uh, that's beer. That is beer, and we may need beer this weekend if things don't go well. Ooh. But hopefully, we'll need beer because things went well. Agreed. At least for you, it's a little more appropriate time. Game wraps up around three thirty, four o'clock for me. That thing's wrapping up at like at noon at earliest. Well, well, you you you. Don't describe the fact that I'll be at work, so maybe not. (laughs) Fair, fair, fair. Okay. Uh, So this week, I know we started kind of getting into it a little bit with Walford, um, but one thing I mentioned before was who's catching passes for them. I mean, Walford can be as improved or as impressive as people want him to be, but Dan, is there anyone who can catch passes from him right now? Uh, there's apparently a lot of young guys who they're excited about. Um, 
guys like uh, Chuck Wade, who had four catches for 70 yards and a touchdown. Um, Cortez Lewis, I've heard some things about. Cam Serene, I've heard some things about. Um, Tyler Bell, who, if I'm not, I think we recruited him. He sounds familiar. He may be not. Um, but it seems like they definitely have a little more of an interesting receiving core than last year when I don't know that I could have named you a weak forest receiver. Um, and I know a lot of these guys are, are young, whether or not they played last year, they're, they're kind of jumping into their own. So I think that group does seem like it should be improved based on what I've heard from, from their people this summer and from the first game. Although again, like URI, it was Elon who is pretty much like the URI of North Carolina in terms of football. They're, I think also one coming off a one eleven season. Um, so it's, it sounds like they're optimistic about it. Um, so I'll take their word for it that it's a better situation than last year. Although last year was so tainted by the offensive line, not being able to keep Wolford upright that, uh, that might have, you know, maybe they had some receivers last year too, and they just didn't get the ball to them. So I don't know if they have anyone that's going to be, you know, a Steve Ishmael, uh, type like we had last year who could get open and make plays despite all the problems with the team. But, um, it seems like they're a little more interesting than they were. Uh, and we'll, we'll find that out um, against uh, our secondary that we still are, are finding out things about, although I think they played really well uh, last week. Yeah, I mean, I think when I look at this depth chart, the one glaring thing I see are freshmen. And while freshman receivers can play well, they're not the first position I would run to. Um, in terms of, you know, freshmen who can contribute right away. Obviously, Steve Ishmael did well for us. In the past, we've seen guys like Sammy Watkins, albeit for Clemson, uh, do very well as true freshmen. But, um, yeah, they're going to be relying on a ton of youth. Uh, K.J. Brent is a senior, but he hasn't really, uh, you know, blown the doors off anyone. I think in general, it's just when you have the offensive line issues they have, it's kind of hard to get anyone really enough time to move the ball through the air primarily. Um, they also have really struggled uh, running the ball, which can be problematic. And I guess that's a good place to, to turn next. Um, running back has been an issue for this uh, this program for, what, four, five, maybe even six years now? Um, do you see a change in this year? It seems like they're kind of going all in on youth, and uh, any Wake Forest fan I talk to seems pretty high on these kids. Yeah, I mean, it seems like Isaiah Robinson's pretty solid. Um, overall, I don't know why you wouldn't go all in on youth based on how the last couple of years have gone. I mean, I think the, the guy who might be farthest from the hot seat in the ACC is uh, Clawson. He is, I think he's going, I mean, that's probably not right. But I, I think Clawson's going to be given a lot of time to rebuild this group from the inside out. Um, so why not go just get your guys in, use the guys that fit your system, which he has a very well-defined system. Uh, we heard um, Bola talk about this this week. You know, it's pretty much exactly what he ran at Bowling Green. He has exactly what he wants to do on offense, so get the right guys in and and go. Um, it, it, at running back, it can't get worse than it was last year. They averaged, what, under two yards of carry for the season, which is unbelievable. Um, so they're off to a better start. I mean, 4.8 yards of carry isn't any great shapes and it's Elon, but it's something, and they ran for 200 yards, so... Definitely uh, an improvement because they weren't doing that against anyone last year. No. Um, so yeah, switching gears to the defense. Um, yes, this front seven is good, 
but are we I guess should we be with the same as Syracuse should we be much more concerned with the linebackers than the line yeah I think the linebackers are the better group um, it's actually interesting Wake did not record a, I don't know what Elon's offense is like so maybe they didn't have a lot of opportunity but he, Wake did not record a sack last week yeah. uh, and Elon recorded three so that might not mean much I think Syracuse only recorded one sack last week which is also which is probably more surprising than that um but uh, I think the linebackers are, are solid. I think they'll probably uh, they should do a better job at Instagram than you or I did. Um, it doesn't look like they're a high like havoc causing group. Um, I mean, three tackles for loss and no sacks at a Elon. Nothing crazy, um, but it seems like they're mostly just a sound unit that won't get uh, too crushed by uh, big runs. Although last year, that's exactly what the Syracuse offense was able to do in the short time ahead in the field. So we'll see what happens. Um, this Like everything else, this is also a young unit. Uh, not quite as young as like the running backs, but it looks like a lot of uh, sophomores and juniors in there. Um, so should be uh, should be an interesting matchup, I think. I think the, the linebackers versus Syracuse running backs might be the, the matchup of the game, if there is one. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's going to kind of be honing in on, uh, you know, Mark Hill Lee and Brandon Chubb in particular. I know a lot of people like Brandon Chubb, um, I don't know if it's partially because writers who don't pay attention to Wake Forest thought it was Nick Chubb and heard that name a few times, but uh, he is well regarded. Uh, I think um, you know he's probably one of the best. I don't know seven to ten linebackers in the, in the conference by most standards, which is fine. Uh, but obviously, one player does not a defense make. Um, SU's never really been built on you know one player defensively, and I think um, Wake isn't either, which is a plus for them. Uh, Hunter Williams is also, I know he, uh, forgot who got him. He's another redshirt senior. He ended up on somebody's fantasy team, which I still haven't tallied last week's results. I will get around to that. Um, also have to have several people redraft. I know Sean lost a couple guys for the season already, which is problematic uh, at the very I, least. I lost our, our Terrell Hunt. Ah, he wasn't your starter, though, right? No, I have uh, someone good. <laughs> oh, I have Deshaun Watson. He's ah, decent. He's okay. <laughs> I went. I went all in on Brad Kaya because why not? But these things happen. Um, yeah, looking around this defense, I mean, the secondary has players. Ryan Janvian and uh, and Zach Dansell, you know, in particular at the safety spots. Both of them are, are, you know, no spring chickens by any means. Um, And even the guys at corner, uh, you know, Deontay Davis and Brad Watson, both of them are juniors. Uh, So while they are replacing two NFL players um, in the secondary, this is not necessarily a young group either. Um, That to me seems surprising, but at the same time, I guess most players getting recruited by Wake figured the system works. These guys um, found their way to the NFL. I can wait my turn and then jump in. I mean, behind them, it's all sophomores and freshmen. But you know, as as is college depth charts. Yeah, I mean, they have that is like the one spot where they do seem to have some veterans, but they're not veterans that have been number one, number two corners. So. Um, it is. It will, you know, see how it goes. And also, 
they're playing against Dungey, so it's going to be a big step uh, step up for both sides. Um, hopefully, we get Steve Ishmael going a bit. I mean, he had some success last year against Wake's really good corners. So um, I don't think you ever, when you're a team like Wake, where you're not bleeding NFL talent, it, it's never easy to replace guys that uh, go and and our first round picks. Um, but that is a group that should be at least pretty decent. Um, I just don't think it'll be quite as highly touted as it was last year, uh, and for good reason, and I'm not sure that it'll have quite the upside. Um, but obviously, I think more of the pressure is going to be on Dungey to make some throws and take some pressure off the run. Um, so if he can throw on Wake, I mean, it's not, you know, we've been saying all week that we don't quite get why Wake's D hasn't, you know, people haven't been making that note that they've lost so much talent back there, but um, it's still, you know, probably a pretty solid average uh, ACC average group, uh, maybe even a little better. Um, and it'll we'll find out a lot about Dungey uh, in terms of how he performs against them. So um, hopefully he can make some throws and, and get us excited. I mean, AJ Long did it um, last season, made some really nice plays in that game. Um, if Dungey can do the same, then I think we'll have a. Uh, their dungy bandwagon, which has been picking up steam big time, will will be even more in full force. No, agreed. You know, I, I said it in the play call breakdown. Um, you look at um, Dungy's seventeen passes. I mean, none of them were bad necessarily, which is not something I've been able to say in any recent series game about a collection of passes. Um, it just seemed like, I mean, no, not all of them hit the mark. There were a couple, you know, drops or some missed reads that just, you know, added up to some incompletions. But overall, I felt like for a guy in his first game, and yes, even against Rhode Island, um, there were already a lot of sound fundamentals. You, you can't teach a kid just coming right out of the box. Yeah, I mean, the, there were three passes, I think, two to Brizzly, one to, I think, Irvin, the flat, uh, where there were just blatant miscommunications. I think Brizzly owned up to at least one of them. So those things happen. Luckily, none of them were. I mean, one, I think the two Brizzly ones were downfield, and the ball was just overthrown. Uh, the other one in the flat, to I think it was Irv, was pretty terrifying. But he basically just ended up throwing it into the ground, um, nowhere near Irv. And then I think that maybe the worst pass was the the jump throw he made to to Phillips, which was tipped up and then called for a touchdown. Um, which he maybe shouldn't have done that, but it worked <laughs> out. Um, but overall, yeah, he he was impressive. He didn't make uh, there weren't a ton of of plays where you said where you thought, oh, that's a freshman who just didn't read that player. He he looks pretty pretty refined for a kid who was thrust into action admittedly before he even thought. So um, obviously, I think Wake Steve will show more and be a little more exotic in terms of what they bring pressure wise and what they bring uh, scheme wise in the secondary. But um, the we got about all all we could uh, expect from what was really what two and three and three quarters of uh, of actual like throwing football before he was pulled. I mean, he was really not pressed into making any huge throws, but he did fine with what he had to work with. And it, Lester says he's not afraid to open up the playbook. So hopefully, this week we'll really see what the upside the Dungey has this year is. And if if Dungey works out, I mean, this is pretty exciting. It's it sucks for Hunt and. Um, we've seen a couple people who have strangely, uh, I won't even go too much into it, but <laughs> I don't care what you think about Terrell Hunt as a football player. It is terrible that he has missed 
basically the last year and a half of his football career. It, the sixth year, I'm hoping he gets it. It's up in the air based on the rules uh, because he didn't actually redshirt for injury purposes as a freshman that we know of. Um, but you never want to see anyone, especially someone who was um, incredibly uh, important in Syracuse getting to and winning its last bowl game um, and was incredibly good in those last two games of 2013. Uh, you never want to see that guy get hurt, uh, especially because he's apparently been a really good teammate, a good leader. He was voted captain and everything else. Um, but on the other hand, if we have if Dungey works out, we could have a four-year starter quarterback, and that's always exciting. Um, so hopefully we get our, our first real glimpse into what Dungey looks like as a D1 quarterback this weekend against a, a solid wakes, uh, Wake Forest team defense overall. And we got a... a hopefully slightly easier game than Central Michigan, although I think those two teams are probably pretty close in terms of ability. And then uh, then we get thrown to the Lions, or the Tigers, I guess. <laughs> and that won't be too fun, but at least uh, it'll be interesting to go see Leonard Fournette play live. I wish I was, although I probably will be in 2017, so I'll take that as a consolation. I also plan to be there in 2017. Yeah, roll damn orange. <laughs> Oh, that's going to be a stupid trip. I'm glad. It's, uh, we're such hypocrites. Like, we, we complained about the scheduling, but then we're like, yeah, we're going to go to Baton Rouge and Madison. Shut up. Oh, yeah. No, I'm totally, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I, I even said that that day. I'm like, yep, going to Madison. Shut up. <laughs> it's a great road trip. Why wouldn't I go now that it's scheduled? I just wish it wasn't scheduled, but yeah. I'm totally going to take advantage of it. Exactly. I mean, th- th- that's my theory on it. Like, you know what? Like, tons of fans say, oh, look. Who cares about a stupid bowl game? If a stupid bowl game's near me, I'm going to go to it. Bowl games are great. You should go to... Road trips, I think, in general. Like, going to the Dome's great, and now that I don't get to go every, like, weekend, it's it's even more of, like, a treat. But road games, I always had more fun at, just because it's a different experience, different traditions. You get to, to BS with the fans around. Um, it's a whole thing. I, I, I If people haven't gone to made trips to road games, I highly... Like, just find a road game every year and just don't do it. It's a blast. Yeah, I mean, road games are, are always a blast. That's the only SU games I get to go to now on a road game just because it costs a lot more for me to get to Syracuse. Um, and on top of that, I mean, I just I go to a lot of SU road games. I am fans of other teams when all the New York teams come to town. I watch them here as a road fan. It's usually a blast. I know last year... My buddy and I, um, who actually went to SU and works at my company, he and I went to the Knicks-Lakers game last year at Staples and laughed our asses off as the fans of both teams sat there rooting against their own team. (laughs) I mean, and like, you know, in a half-empty Staples Center for Lakers-Knicks, which no matter how good or bad both teams are, it's usually at least full because, you know, New York fans will always turn out. Um, But... Yeah, I, I, I implore people to get to go to more road games. Um, even sometimes it's fun just going to neutral, uh, going as a neutral fan. I do that a bunch. Um, it's a lot of fun. I usually just start talking to people. You find out some interesting quirks about a fan base or a team or whatever. Um, yeah, you, you, you can constantly surprise yourself. Neutral games are also fun. I, I would recommend finding, and hopefully you're not just doing by yourself, but finding a an actual group of fans to latch on to for like tailgating purposes and to learn kind of what's going on pregame and postgame uh, that will up the experience, I think. But um, there's a, there, it is fun just to go see a football game without the pressure of 
of you know living or dying with the result um, and experiencing kind of all the different things, especially because like SU, we have some interesting things on name day, but we're not the most tradition rich college football program in terms of uh, you know physical traditions that we have. Um, we have plenty of tradition on the field, but we're a little lacking in other departments. So it's, it's fun to be able to go to teams and like the SEC or, or out in the, the Pac-12 and see, you know, kind of what's different and, and what they have that works and wish that your own teams did similar things. I will say that I've gone, I've probably gone to more, more road games at Pitt than anywhere. And they do not have that, that thing. Like <laughs> they have less tradition if we, than we do somehow. Yeah. Pitt. Speaking of, and we'll just quick sidetrack props to Holgo. I hate West Virginia, but Holgo, you win. That was a very, very, very nice pairing today. Yeah, I look like I appreciate Holgo because like there are a lot of coaches that a wouldn't have ever sent that or would have deleted it, and I'm pretty sure it's still up, right? Like, oh I, yeah, I wrote an article about it and I saved the tweet just in case, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure I don't need this screenshot. Like, Holgo, don't care. No. That's like, look, any it. guy that wears his hair like that will not delete a tweet that yeah. uh, that says eat shit pit. Like, it's just not a concern of his. No, if you told him to delete it, he'd fight you in the streets. <laughs> he's he's on his, like, seventh Red Bull of the day. You're not going <laughs> to tell him what he can and can't tweet. Uh, quick getting back to what we were talking about before we close out. I know we're kind of coming up on the, well, artificial time limit here. Um, yeah, I would say... Go to games. Some ACC teams have traditions. Even like stupid teams like Virginia have traditions. Um, I know, uh, you know, I try to get to at least one USC and one UCLA game a year. Uh, when I went up to Stanford games, those were fun. Even Cal has traditions. Like, you'd be surprised just in general. Like, I mean, when I was up in Seattle, I didn't get to go to a Huskies game, but just showed up at the stadium, got to see some like tradition around there, ended up getting myself onto the basketball court somehow because they left the door open. But, yeah, like, search out things like that. I go to college campuses whenever I'm in a city just to see things. And, yeah, you'd you'd be surprised um, what each city and (laughs) what each city feels about the school, both good and bad, and and what, you know, local fans will tell you that you just wouldn't even be able to glean from, you know, any random message board either. For sure. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, it's, I just remember I loved campus trips back when I was looking. So it's always fun to just see, you know, what different schools are like, what, you know, is around, compare them to Syracuse, which I think for, in terms of actual on-campus stuff is, is pretty underrated. I think our campus stacks up pretty well. Um, but it's, it's always fun to just see different things, especially with college football, which is so, so regional and so uh, there's so many fan bases that, that, have their little things that no one else really gets it's one of the special things about the whole college sports system um and maybe linking up with colleges doesn't make a lot of sense in a lot of for a lot of reasons but i think most of us would hope that they actually figure it out and and make it work for everyone because there is a special it's special to have a college that you went to have a team that represents it um i don't quite get why people are hung up on whether or not those people are paid but um I think you would lose something if it just if we strapped it and went to a minor league because of the tradition and and the the atmosphere with students and everything else. So 
Um, definitely one of the things I wish I could do a little more of is, is go see a lot of these schools. But um, definitely going to make that LSU trip happen, hopefully. So that'll that'll be a nice thing to look forward to in a couple of years. And then Wisconsin, I wish I wasn't going to be like 30 when that game happened, which is a, a cruel realization. That's the worst. I My buddy I was talking to, I said, yeah, man, this is going to be great. We're going to go. He's like, he said, why are you bothering making these plans? You're probably going to have a kid or two. And I was just uh, ready to vomit. We're John, done. you're so old. Oh. <laughs> ready to well, well, Dan, at least I have a couple steps further down that path than you do. That's true. The married with a house already. I'm, I'm already two-thirds of the way. Which is not... Which is where you want to be in life in some respects. But nothing. But you don't want to be thinking about a babysitter before you have a kid seven years before a football game happens, is what you're saying. Correct. <laughs> I guess we'll close it uh, with that cruel twist of reality. Before John and I just go cry and watch Western Kentucky the rest of the night. Which, again, this game is a blast. Um, anyway... Uh, Dan, thank you as always for joining. A pleasure. Uh, Doe Orange beat Wake. I don't want to hear it from my little brother who was a Wake Forest junior. Ooh. That would be the worst. He doesn't care about sports, really, but he'll absolutely care about Wake that's Forest. Why, that's why he went to Wake Forest. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the lack of pressure on being a sports fan was good for him. Uh, but yeah, feel free to uh, rate, review, subscribe. Give us five stars, whatever the max amount of stars are you possibly can. Uh, it's much appreciated, and it actually helps us out. Uh, yeah, go orange. Go orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.